Colossians 3, verses 1 through 7. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming, and these you too once walked when you were living in them. We're starting a new chapter this morning in our study of the book of Colossians. It's been a couple of Sundays since I've been up here. We had um, both teachings the past couple of Sundays come from Ray, uh, but we have the continuity of the scripture to guide us, but I have missed getting to study for these teachings because it is a blessing to me as well uh, to get to do that, and I know those who teach from this pulpit um, receive the same blessing when they study for a teaching. Uh, You may have in your Bibles, headings over the chapters in various sections between the chapters that were inserted by the translators to help the reader get an idea of what that particular passage is about. And the app I use for looking up verses in my preparation for the teaching calls this passage the new self, and it has quotations over that. That's man's insertion, Uh, but we shouldn't let these headings in our Bibles lead us to conclude, you know, oh yeah, well I've already read about that somewhere so I can skip that part. I mean, there's been other places where Paul and others have written about the new self, so now I can dismiss that. I know everything that I need to know about the new self. Never let that be the case, and I hope that none of you approach your study of God's word in that way. I I pray that you don't, and I don't think that you do. Um, Know here that at Carlsbad Bible Church, we maintain that every word of scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Those of you who were at uh, last Sunday evening's Fundamentals of the Faith teaching, that's your memory verse, remember that? So come ready tonight to quote that one. Can't say that I've got it memorized yet. I got some homework to do when I get home. For my own study notes, um, I always put scripture in bold so that I recognize what are my words and what is from scripture because I want to be, be careful and not to blend the two together. And I usually try to emphasize when I'm going off on my own little philosophical tangent, if you want to call it that, and depending more on my notes and when we are in scripture. Always when we're in scripture, we know that we have God's truth. When you're listening to man's words, man can get it wrong sometimes. Another reason why we always try to encourage you to here at this church to be Bereans that Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 17, they went into the church of Berea and they found there and they called these people noble-minded because they didn't just take their word for it. Uh, Those people went to the scriptures to prove that the things that they were being told by men were actually found in the scriptures and we want to always encourage you to do that here as well. Um, In our own outline for the book of Colossians, we've inserted a little heading over this passage of scripture, particularly verses one through four, and this is the heading that we came up with. Again, man's words, our insertion, believers should seek heavenly things and not earthly things. If you wanted to call, uh, give a title to this message today, you could call it that, believers should seek heavenly things and not 
earthly things. And so this prompts a question for me, and I hope that it does for you as well, and that is, what is it that I seek? What is it that you seek? And if we were to get a little philosophical here, remember that's one of the false teachings we warn about. When you get into philosophies, you can go in the wrong direction, but let me just pose this to you. If I'm looking for what do I seek, and you're looking for what do you seek, um, maybe a question that arises is, why is it that we even seek? Why do we even seek? Now, my intent is not, um, or let me back up here, uh, because what I'm about to say got me into somewhat of a debate a couple of weeks ago after I, I preached at a funeral, and that is about the distinction that can be made between mankind and the rest of the animal kingdom. You know, horses, dogs, goats, all those other things. You have mankind, and you have a separation between the two. And my intent is not to devalue animals, um, but to point out that we have been given a soul by our creator that will live on into eternity. I know people can grow very fond of their pets. You know, some of you are dog people, and those of you who are cat people, we pray for you, Nick. Um, (laughs) You'll go exercise the demons from your house. (laughs) No, uh, again, I'm not trying to devalue animals in any way. But if you observe many of the animals in this world, there is much variety, there is much beauty. I mean, that is something that God created. It's one of his natural revelations to us that we can know something designed this. We know there is a great creator who put all this together. And you could say that animals are, in a sense, innocent in that they will not be held accountable for sin as we will, accountable for their actions. They are guided by their carnal desires because they know nothing else. Many of those carnal desires or instincts may be the the better word for it. They're not wrong. You know, it's something that God has programmed them with. It's something that we also are programmed with. We have instinctual things that we follow after. Uh, The desire and the need for food some of us may already be thinking about that, what we're going to eat afterwards. You know, there's a need to, for us to survive, and so we might have a, a craving or a desire for food. There is that desire for procreation, that we continue our species, so to speak. We continue mankind, and so there is that desire that God has programmed within us. And then there's just the overall preservation of life. We want to take care of ourselves. And these are things that God has given us and programmed within us um, to, you know, to populate and to preserve our, our lives. And many of these things are, are blessings from God in a sense, but God has put sideboards upon it. There's a framework within which we are to operate in those instinctual desires so that we don't carry them outside the boundaries and cause ourselves to sin, to be tempted. But animals have this as well, right? Those instinctual things. But do you find animals seeking after some kind of fulfillment that they can't find in food, in sex, or relationship with their kind? In my observations of it, I don't see that. I don't see where they long after something that is going to fill what many call a God-shaped hole in their life. Not in any of my observations of animals have I observed that, but I observe it all the time within mankind. Even the smartest of animals do not seem to be searching after something to fill their lives and complete them and make them feel whole in their existence here. And I want to tell you today that if you are looking for something to complete your life, you are only going to find it in a relationship 
with God. And not just a passive knowing who he is, an acknowledgement that, yeah, we, we have a higher being that created it, but a relationship with an infinitely holy God that can only be had through faith and the restorative work of his one and only son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. Spiritual emptiness is like a vacuum, and it wants to be filled. We are image bearers of God, and as such, we have this desire to really know him in a sense, but we often try to find that fulfillment in other things. Able to, we're not able to find the fulfillment we seek unless we know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And that is my lead into today's verses. So let's come back to the passage once more. And uh, we're going to stop and also pray and ask God to reveal more of himself to us as we seek to grow more in the knowledge of him and what he has done for us. And I want you also just take some time as I'm praying to pray for those who may not know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, that God would reveal himself to them today and satisfy the longing of their souls with his salvation and all that comes by his mercy and grace. So let's just take a moment to pray. Father God, we come to you once more. We thank you um, for this passage of scripture that is a blessing to our hearts, what we've just read, that everything is found in Christ and we're to seek the things that are above and not the things that are in this world. There are things that you have provided to us through your grace that are intended to sustain us and to give us some joy in this life. Um, But Lord, none of that sense of fulfillment in our souls can be had and found here on this earth. It is only found through a relationship with Jesus Christ that we are turned on for a spiritual desire and longing for you to grow near to you, to just grow in a relationship with you. And God, there is a longing in souls today and maybe those that are here are searching for that fulfillment of their spirit in something else. And maybe it's in their sin or maybe it's just in a relationship that they're trying to hold someone up to a standard that they could never meet. God, that God-shaped hole needs to be filled with one thing and that is Jesus Christ. And I pray, Lord, that today you would just draw the hearts of those who may not know you to that saving knowledge of who you are and what you have done for them. And thank you for making a way to you through Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. I'm gonna read verses one through four again, and then we're gonna unpack this a little bit more. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. If then you have been raised with Christ, the translation here in ESV starts off with if then, but you may also have in other translations since, since you have been raised. And the implication here is that if you're being raised to something, then you have died to something. In order to be raised, we have to die. And Paul puts a finer point on this in verse three, the very first part of that says, for you have died. (laughs) And if you have died to something, then what are you going to be raised to? And we're looking at this from the spiritual plane a spiritual aspect of 
who we are and what we have in Christ. And reviewing what Ray taught last week as the lead-in to these verses, we found that all the false ways to try and reach God are futile. I don't know if any of you have ever owned you know, hamsters or gerbils and you put them in the cage and the way to entertain them is you put them in one of those wheels and they just get in it and they run and they run and they go nowhere. And that's where all these other false religions lead. It's just like counterproductive wheel spinning. It's just a turning and a turning. It's a chasing after the wind. There is no fulfillment in these false doctrines or these man-made religions. These are world-seeking, work-centered ways of trying to bring God to us as if we could actually do that. It could be found in working oneself up by emotion or experience, as Ray taught, to try and have something special with God that, that others don't, a spiritual experience, or make someone believe that we have something that they don't. And I'm hoping by this time in our study of Colossians, you have been able to figure out that one of the main themes of this letter is, is what? What do you want to you take a guess at that? Sufficiency? Sufficiency of Christ, supremacy of Christ. And there, there could be a, a few themes that we could draw out here, but primarily what we have seen is Paul emphasizing how sufficient Christ is, how supreme Christ is. And I'm hoping that if you haven't grasped that by now, maybe today will be that time where you understand he is all sufficient. Paul uses phrasing such as through him and him being Christ in him by him and for him. We've seen him use that uh, very often, even just in the first couple of chapters. We're just now beginning chapter three. And this stresses that he, Jesus Christ, is the only way by which we can find relationship with God. None of these other false religions out there are going to, are going to allow you to find a relationship with God the Father. Jesus says of himself that no one can come to the Father except through him. So to have been raised with Christ is to now find your everything in him. You know, he is now your life. And if he is our everything and lives within us by his spirit, which he promised to us, then our search to fill the void of spiritual, our spiritual existence has been realized. It is realized in Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Paul writes, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? He is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. We possess a new life in Christ, died to ourselves, our old existence, and now we are raised with him to a new life, is how it's put in Romans chapter six. And putting your faith in Christ is not an achievement to be had, and then you move on to the next thing. I'm gonna date myself here, and I recall back in the early 90s that I got one of those Nintendo game consoles when they first came out, and Super Mario Brothers, you know, was the game to have at that time, and so I was having this competition with my friends to see who could save the princess first at the end of the game, and then after you save the princess, then everything was done, and it's like, okay, well, what now is there? You know, you, you've arrived and you've done everything you could and now you just move on to the next game. When we're seeking after Christ, we find our fulfillment in him, but once we have a relation with his, relationship with him, and since our life has just begun and then it is a continual process, we never arrive, we've never saved the princess, so to speak, until we arrive on the other side of glory. 
putting your faith in Christ is not achievement to be had and then move on to the very next thing. This is that a new life has begun for you. We are regenerated, born into a new life that should be seeking to grow more in a re- understanding of who he is and what he has done for us, seeking to understand what his desires are for us now that we are made a child of God. I observe our little grandson, Matty, bonding with his family now. He's starting to develop that personality but you know, when kids just start out, they're kind of falling back to those instinctual things. How do I survive? I cry, I get food, I need my diaper changed, you know, just these things that they cry out for, but then you begin to see them grow, and they're looking to bond more with their family, and that's what I observe in my grandson, learning what it is to love and what it is to care for others, and I see him go from just those survival things that God has created us with to now wanting to have relationships his wanting to make us smile, wanting to show love and grow in the bond of family. And that is not to say that he doesn't make it known uh, when he wants things to help him survive still. I think some of us uh, still complain when we want food and things like that. But in a similar way, we are born into a new relationship with God by his grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that spiritual rebirth has just begun. And now we have a life ahead that should be seeking to build on a relationship that he began with us through our rebirth. So we are made his child, but then we began to grow in that relationship, forming that, that bond of love and knowing what he has in store for us in this life and what he wants of us. Romans 8, 3 through 5. If you want to turn there with me. Paul would write it this way to the believers in Rome in Romans 8, 3 through 5. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So we have in Christ been given the ability to seek after the things that are of him. If we are in Christ, we seek the things that are of Christ, the things of the spirit. No longer seeking after and living our life marked by a pattern of of fleshly desires, of those carnal lusts, the things of the spirit. Apart from a relationship with Christ though, and having been raised with him to a new life, we cannot seek If we have not been reborn, born into a new life with him, then we cannot seek after him. If then you have been raised with Christ, is what Paul writes, then he says, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. This word for seek is the Greek word tsiteo, And it really means to keep seeking. In fact, I think that is how the ASB translate that word. Instead of just seek the things that are above, keep seeking is what we are told there. That's what that Greek word means. We should see a continual pursuit of him in our life as a believer. It's almost like we have a preoccupation with eternal, eternal realities that are ours in Christ. Jesus in Matthew 6, 33, he tells us, but seek first 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It is a lifelong process of a continual seeking. Keep seeking the things that are above. And once we become a believer, once we're saved, we are in a sense reoriented. You know, it's like we had a compass that was way off of its calibration. It was not directed towards true north and it wasn't seeking after God. But in our rebirth, now we're pointed in the right direction. Now we're reoriented to him. But in the fall, we got so turned off course so as not to seek after God, but after our own ways of trying to find fulfillment. Back in Romans again, in Romans 3, 10 through 12, Paul would say this, as it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands No one seeks after God. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. In the fall, we were exposed, I mean, we were brought into that sin nature. Now Adam is that flesh, fleshly dad that we have, that we are born into this life of sin, and we are, are fallen in the flesh, and we are after the things of our flesh. That's what we're oriented to, our carnality. In 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16, Paul says the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. They're not oriented towards God. They're fallen, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by no one for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. That's uh, 1 Corinthians 2, 14 through 16 in case I didn't say that. So the natural person, the one just born in, in their sin is not going to understand the spiritual sense of God and his, his power because they have not been reborn. But yet the spiritual person is then able to judge, discern things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? We have the mind of Christ. We are continually being sanctified in him, molded and shaped more into the image so that we have more of a Christ-like mind in our life. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. How can they? But coming back again to our verses this morning, but if you have been raised, or since you have been raised, seek the things that are above. Now you can. You can seek the things that are of him. We could view this passage as Paul calling for a moment of evaluation, as we should often look at the scriptures to do, and it is something we evaluate ourselves against, but he's really um, saying, hey, take then heed of whether or not really you have been raised. If you're not seeking after these things that are above, then perhaps you should start questioning whether or not you really are in Christ, whether or not you've been chasing after all of these false ideologies of how to get to God and you really aren't found in him and saved by his grace. It's like a stop and check yourself now because now in Colossians, we're going to get into the practical things of what all this means for you. I mean, we've really been building and building and building upon the sufficiency and the supremacy of Christ, and now this is what it should look like in your life. If then you too have been raised in Christ, if you have a saving faith in him, then we can check ourselves against these things. Am I living this way? Does this mark the pattern of my life that is in him? After denouncing all these false doctrines of man, 
the philosophies, the legalisms, the asceticisms, the mysticisms, all these isms, the test is to see if you are seeking after man's doctrine or seeking after God. Things above, right, the things of God, or the things that are man-made attempts at being righteous. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. You are not going to find truth and fulfillment and happiness in man-made worldly religions or philosophies or heightened states of emotions. All those things begin and end here on earth. Sure, there's a temporary satisfaction that is found in certain things. You can go out and buy something that is brand new. You can buy that, that new tractor or lawnmower and you can ride around for a while. You can admire it, but then eventually <laughs> that, that joy, that temporal happiness, it fades. And we find that with other things. Some things that are actually a sin in our lives, we might find temporary joy or, or not a joy, but a happiness or just an emotional elation that comes from that. But at the end of it all is death, really. These things die and they perish here. When Christ walked out of the tomb, a risen and victorious Savior, he ascended to the Father and he is now ruling and reigning in heaven. In Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. A very point, direct statement that says you want to find your fulfillment and your sufficiency, look to Christ. It is only found by salvation in him. He is not here. He is risen. Remember the angel's message to the women that came to the tomb to look for him? Because we don't worship a dead man in a tomb. We worship the one who overcame death and he is now reigning victoriously. As Paul writes here, he's seated at the right of the hand of the Father. That's why we look to the things that are above. That's where he is. That's where he's ruling and reigning. Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, all these so-called leaders of a way to God, they're all dead and they're still dead. They did not overcome the grave. Only Jesus Christ, God's one and only son, has overcome the death. And that's how we can have life in him. The one who is mighty to save and is ready to give his grace to those who call upon him as Lord and Savior is still alive and victorious over death and seated at the right hand of God the Father. And Paul is not saying that we should just walk around with our heads pointed up to the sky all the time, probably bumping into things. It's not that imagery that we get is that we're constantly doing this and not looking where we're going. This is a way of saying stop looking to these earthly ideologies and methods of trying to get to him when he's already made a way to you. Don't get taken captive by those things. Isn't that what he tells us in chapter two, verse eight, by philosophies and empty deceit? You can get taken captive by those things. But the things that you're really seeking after is the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of the guy of God. Fix your minds and gaze on the victorious one. Seek the things that are above. Set your mind on the things above. You can't lay your hands on it, but you can set your minds on it. You can fix your spiritual gaze upon the one who has overcome. Remember what Jesus would tell the woman at the well in John chapter four, verse 20 through 24. 
For some reason, that verse came to mind this morning, so I wanted to insert it here, but she's been seeking fulfillment in many of the things of the world in relationships, really. And she's had five men in her life, and she just can't seem to find that fulfillment that she's been looking for. Jesus knows her heart. He knows what all she's been through. In John 4, verse 20, he says, our, she says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. He is above We sing before the throne of God above. I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Hebrews 12, one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated where? At the right hand of the throne of God. Look to the things above. So we have the where to look, right? And we know who it is that we look for. We look to Jesus, the one who is the author of the perfecter of our faith. He's the one that provides us salvation. Jesus, he's our peace, He's our hope, he's our fulfillment of our life pursuit. And the next verses present us, here in Colossians chapter three, present us with the why and the when and the how. So we have the who and the where. We know that's Jesus. We know where to look. He's seated at the right hand of God. The Father It is in the spiritual that, that we approach him, that we come to him in prayer. And now, We have the why, for you have died. For you have died, and when, or sorry, that was the, that was the why, for you've died, and the how. Your life is hidden with Christ in God, and when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So why are we even able to fix our minds on the things above? Because in a spiritual sense, you too have died to the things of the world. That's what Paul's saying, for you have died. You have died to the sin that once held you, and now you are raised to new life in Christ. We've already read about it in Colossians 2. You just back up a chapter, a few verses to 20 and 23. It says, if with Christ you died to the elementary spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to the things that all perish, as they are used according to human precepts and teaching. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Stop looking to those things. You've died. You are now alive and been reborn into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul would write it this way to the Galatians, speaking of himself in 6.14, of Galatians, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, crucified, dead to the world. Wondering how to realize this, 
Now that's one of the questions I wrote down for myself, my notes. How do we realize this? Well, I found that we need time with God daily. Time in your word and time in prayer, drawing near to him, seeking the things that are above, that's how we do it. Isaiah 55, 11, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing which I sent. And we have in Hebrews chapter four that says the word of God is living and active and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joint and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. It is a living word. It is not something that once spoke, but it is now still speaking. If you are not continually being nourished in his word, then the time is to start, to start now. And I can't tell you that I've perfected this in any way in my life. I'm constantly confessing my spiritual laziness. But the, the important thing is that we're striving, we're continuing to pursue. And we know where to go. We know it's found in his word. It's spent time spent with him in prayer. You have died to what once defined you. That is the how we are able to seek the things that are above and the why is because our life is now hidden with Christ in God. That, and that's an incredible thing, with Christ in God. The words in Christ, I think by now, have been hammered into us by this point. That's, that's intentional by Paul. But now because you are in Christ, and are hidden with him, so you are in God as well. It's it's how we are joined into that supernatural union with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promised that other helper in John chapter 14 that would be with you, but then would be in you by faith in his perfect work on the cross, and now that he indwells us by his Holy Spirit, he's there, the Father's there, the Spirit's there, we're entwined with all of that, and it's a mystery that I can't fully explain to you here and now, but that's how we are hidden with Christ and we are in God as well, is in Christ. He is our sanctuary. He is the place that we find refuge. The psalmist would write this way and I believe it's looking ahead in that faith of what Christ would be for us and being that refuge, our salvation is in him when in Psalm 62, six through seven, it says, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, My refuge is God, hidden with Christ in God. He is our refuge. We have no need to fear a future of eternal destruction because we, by our death to sin, are hidden away now in Christ. Coming back to Romans 8 now, towards the end of that, probably you may know where I'm going if you're very familiar with the book of Romans, but it says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is what it is to be hidden with Christ in God. Scripture tells us that we are clothed in his righteousness. 
Almost like that we have a cloak that is laid up on us by his death on the cross. When we become a child of God, we likening this to the animal kingdom, you know, when a mom puts its scent upon the child or on their, their offspring, they know which one is theirs, right? And they can separate it out from the others. And in fact, Jody and I observed out our window this morning, there was these two coveys of quail and they were chasing off the others until they got their groups together because they knew which ones were theirs by their scent or by their sight. But that is how it is for those who are in Christ. He's our shepherd, right? And the shepherd knows his sheep. It's another way that he likens it to the animal kingdom, that, that relationship that we have and what it is to be hidden in him and clothed. John 10, 14 through 15, I am the good shepherd, I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, there's that union with the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, hidden with Christ in God, because of his union with the Father, we are then joined in, that when the Father looks upon us, he sees his Son, and that is a good thing for us, because our own righteousness would not pass the smell test. It would be detestable to God. Your life is hidden in Christ, and what a comfort to know that we are hid away in him. When we sung that song this morning, Christ will be my hideaway. How fitting that is for this message. So where is it that we turn to Christ, right? He is the who. He is in heaven, seated at the right hand of God the Father. That is where we we turn and we look to. That is where our help comes from. Why? Because you have died, died with him. How? Because you are hidden away in Christ. That's how we can approach God's throne. That's how we can approach him in prayer. And the win is the end of our hope that is realized in Christ. And verse four says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Being being hidden in him means that we now possess his life within us. It is no longer ours, but his. When he appears in glory, so will we. We will be able to come confidently and boldly to God's throne because of Christ. Christ is our mediator. He is our intercessor. Even now in prayer, he continually goes before the throne of God, making intercession for his children. If that doesn't speak of his sufficiency to be with us throughout our life lived here on this earth to when we will no longer be present in this body and that doesn't speak of his sufficiency throughout our life here and our life to come, then I don't know what will convince you of the sufficiency of Christ. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. He is the one who has gone through and he has appeared and he is now at the right hand of the Father and he is our great high priest. And some view verse four as Christ's final return and I can can see that as well so I'm gonna repeat it. When Christ who is your life appears then you also will appear with him in glory. As when he will appear in his glory to bring his bride, the church, with him in finality after his judgment, the verses normally referenced here come from Revelation 19, 11 through 13. 
and we'll read 15 through 16. So go ahead and turn there with me. These will be our mostly, for the most part, our closing verses this morning. As we look ahead to this future of Christ returning in his glory and bringing with him his bride, the church, to heaven. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11, then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it, is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. In verse 15, from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When he returns in final victory, it will reveal who belongs to the Lord, who are his children, and he will reveal them to the world 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Maybe you've been searching around this world for a while now, and you can't seem to find or put your finger on that thing that you hope will satisfy you. And your quest is taking you down a path of self-fulfillment, maybe going from one thing to another, hoping that that one thing will fill the whole. Often the very thing that we try to fill that God-shaped hole with is the emptiness of our sin. That maybe the fulfillment could be found in one more high, one more lustful image, one more relationship, one more bite, one more purchase. But it is not there. It never has been, and deep down that you know that it never will be. And this just isn't for those who are lost and unsaved, but to many of us believers as well, we need to be reminded of this, thinking we can somehow go back to the worldly pursuits in our efforts to realize something more, forgetting that Christ is your satisfaction, that he is all you need. Having a relationship with Christ does not mean that all your worldly wants are going to be had. You've been told a false gospel if that's what you've been chasing after. You're looking for a magic genie in a bottle when a savior is what you need. Fix your gaze upon the glorious Christ who has risen and has overcome so that you too can overcome. 1 John 5, 4, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is a victory that has overcome the world, our faith. This life is not about having every material thing that your heart desires, but to have an everlasting peace, an everlasting hope and satisfaction in him. The key to living the risen life is to have a Christ-centered life. The sun, not the present world, is the center of a believer's universe. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us your word and your truth to us and there's been any insertions by me that were wrong, God, that you have, those things would perish now and only the things that are of your truth would remain. God, let these uh, maybe be like seeds in our heart that take root and grow. 
Lord, that nourish us spiritually, that we would use this as a check to evaluate our own walk. For those of us who are believers, if we've maybe been going after the things that we think we can somehow find a sense of satisfaction in them, they may be enjoyable for a moment, uh, the pursuits of earthly treasures, that if there's anything there in our lives that we've looked to to be our satisfaction, that we're just reminded today that it can only be found in you. Thank you that Christ is all sufficient, that you have made a way to you by your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are hidden in him and thereby we are hidden in you, Father. Thank you the way you just join us in supernaturally to be joined with you in, in a relationship that is a, a child to a father. God, I pray that as we just continue to turn these things over in our mind, what we've learned today, that you'd work in changing our hearts and growing us more in our, our faith to be more mature, to be more Christ-like, to have the mind of Christ and where we go to seek the things that are above or the things that you've given to us already is prayer and study time in your word. Thank you for these things, Lord. I pray that as we sing this last song to you, that we just cry out with hearts that are just longing to love you more, Lord, to serve you better, just in any way that we possibly can, that we are turned on for that desire because we now live a risen life that is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. We ask all this in your son Jesus Christ's name, amen.